Two years ago, about this time of the year, to be exact, the 4th of July weekend, uh, we were invited by the Wilkinsons uh, to perform a wedding for their son in Seattle, Washington. And so we, uh, we went and we had a good time at the wedding. And then we decided we were going to do some sightseeing. And among the sightseeing decisions that we made was to go and see Mount Rainier, which is a, an incredible, beautiful mountain. And um, that morning, it was decided that I would be the driver. I think I'm a pretty good driver. And I think I get us to places at least 99.99% of the time. And so I was sitting in the driver's seat. Ray was sitting uh, on the passenger seat. My wife, Monica, and Rosie were sitting right behind us. Uh, and they were chatting, and I was concentrating. I put the GPS, and we started making our way to Mount Rainier. And then there, there came this fork on the road, and I'm pretty sure that the GPS told me to stay left. However, when I stayed left, I heard some murmuring in the back seat about I should have taken the right, but they didn't want to say it too loud because somehow they understood that men are too proud. I don't know what they were saying, but um, they just kind of whispered and, and just enough so that I could hear it, but not so overbearing so that we wouldn't call them backseat drivers. And so I kept driving, knowing that I was going in the right direction being convinced, and right about that time, the GPS, we lost contact with the GPS. So it was doing this little thing where it was just kind of finding the signal, and I said, sure, surely when we reconnect again, the GPS is gonna show that I'm on the right track, and the ladies in the back are gonna know that I didn't make a mistake. And uh, so we went, it really took a long time for us to get reconnection. We were out there, and finally, GPS reconnected again, and we found that out that I was like 15 or 20 minutes away from where I should have turned. And so I had to stop and turn around. You know how much humility it takes to make a U-turn when you've been going in the wrong direction for a long time? You know, in life, the same thing happens. We've, sometimes we've been going in the wrong direction for a long time. And it takes a lot of courage to stop and make a U-turn. We call that repentance. It is when Jesus comes and he invites us to stop going in the wrong direction and to turn around toward him so that we can experience his grace. And maybe you're here today and you need a U-turn in your life. Maybe you're here today and you need to stop going in the wrong direction and to turn toward God. That's what we've been singing about and that's what we're gonna talk about today. We're in a series that we've called Follow Jesus, Belong, Believe, and Become. We looked at stories in the Gospel of Luke that talk about those things for the last three Sundays. And today we're gonna to talk about the call to repent. And the passage that we're going to look at is found in Luke chapter five, verse 27. If you go there with me, We'll read it, or you can watch, uh, see it on the screen. It says, after this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house and a large crowd of tax collectors. And others were eating with them, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect, complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, 
It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This story, as short as it is, tells us so much about God's heart, about how we can experience his grace in real life. And also, it warns us about the dangers of spiritual pride. So we're going to talk about that today. Jesus calls us to repentance, which means it is that, that we're called to cut off sin. We don't know much about Levi at this moment. We know that he's a tax collector. Now, today, if you work for the IRS, it doesn't necessarily make you a bad person. But back in first century Jewish Palestine, to be a tax collector was a really bad thing. In the first place, you were considered a traitor because it was Jewish people that would accept the tax collector's job to collect taxes from their Jewish brothers and sisters so that they could give them to the Roman government. And if you understood how Jews saw themselves, that they considered themselves the people of God and they were the people of God, and they considered the Romans their oppressors, Essentially, the Romans were oppressing the people of God, which means pretty much they were enemies of God. So if you work for the Roman government to take money away from your brothers and sisters, then you were a traitor. You, 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 were, you, you had switched to the wrong side. You know, I, I've been watching, or we watched a miniseries about the Hatfields and the McCoys, and. Uh, reliving the story of these two families and their feud on the border of uh, uh, Kentucky and West Virginia and, and just how amazing it is that people can come to a place where they can become so obsessed about hating and killing each other. And then the underlying story of this was around the Civil War and how much hate and resentment there was from the, from the South, the Confederacy, towards the North, the Union. And not only did the Confederate People hated the Yankees in the North. But if you were born in the South and you served in the Union Army, man, that made you a really, really bad person. And it made people angry. It made people hate you. Well, the way that the Jewish people of the first century felt about tax collectors was not very different. Tax collectors chose to serve the Roman government because it was lucrative. You know, you could choose to be a fisherman and maybe struggle to put food on the table, but you could also choose to be a tax collector and wear designer tunics and have nice homes and eat really good every day and throw parties. I mean, it was, it was the life, it was, there was money in it. To add insult to injury, tax collectors were not just considered traitors, but they were usually corrupt. They would tell their Jewish brothers and sisters that they owed more tax than they really did and they would pocket the difference. So they were building their wealth on the backs of the poor and the needy. Tax collectors were considered the, the worst kind of sinners. There were layers of sinners, they were in the worst kind. A God-fearing Jew would not have fellowship with a tax collector. They would not invite him to dinner. They would not welcome him in their home. They were not welcome in the synagogue. And it's very likely that their families would have disowned him. Levi was an outcast in Jewish society. 
And you have to wonder how that might have felt. I imagine that when he first made the choice, he thought it was the greatest thing. All of this money, this nice clothes, this nice house, this food, these parties that he got to be a part of. And he was just living the life. But I wonder if at some point he got lonely. At some point he, he missed his family. He missed having meals at home. At some point maybe he felt like the money that he had was not bringing him the happiness that he thought it would. And, and the friendships that he had could not replace the relationships that he had lost with, with good people in his life. Maybe there was a point at which he was longing to be at the synagogue and to hear the reading of the Torah and to sing the songs of praise to, to God. I wonder if at one point he regretted the fact that he had chosen to be a tax collector but if he did, he had to have known that it was too late to do anything. That even if he left his lucrative pose, he could never be welcomed back to Jewish society. That people would never look at him the same. That even if he decided that, that he was gonna leave everything behind, that he could not come back home. But on this day, Jesus came to town. And Jesus walks by this tax collector's booth and he notices Levi. He sees him and he calls him by name. Can you imagine how Levi must have felt? The, the Jewish people hurled insults at him. I'm sure when he walked by, they would spit at him and tell him all kinds of ugly things. But, but here this was a rabbi that everyone was talking about, a man of God, and he noticed him and he called him by name. Here was the opportunity to start all over. Here was the opportunity for a new beginning. Follow me, said Jesus to him. It was the opportunity to leave the old life behind and, and discover a new life, the God life. Follow me meant to to live a life that was marked by greed and, and corruption and betrayal and loneliness and turn to a life filled with, with joy and forgiveness and hope. And Levi did not waste this opportunity. When Jesus said, follow me, Levi didn't have to go consult. He didn't have to Google it. He didn't have to do research. He, he, did immediately follow him. He left everything behind. He left his job. He left his opportunity to have more money. He cut off relationships with the Roman government. He left his selfishness, his greed behind, and he opened his heart to God and his grace. What a wonderful thing. What an incredible thing that must have been. What a day that Levi would never forget. Levi is later called Matthew in the first gospel. I wonder if you need a new start. I wonder if you're at a place in your life where, where you're waiting for a breakthrough, where you're tired of pursuing happiness on your own terms, where you're where tired of following empty dreams and empty promises. I wonder if you are done with sin in your life, with pursuing things the, the way that the world pursues them. And I'm here to tell you today that Jesus came 
not to condemn you. That Jesus came not to condone your sin, but not to condemn you either. That you can bring whatever it is that you're struggling with, that you can stop wherever it is that you're heading to at this moment and turn to Jesus as he calls you to repentance. Repentance is not about stopping your bad behavior and somehow figuring out how to do good behavior. That's self-effort, that's salvation by works. That's not what repentance is. Repentance is just the willingness, the recognition that you are going in the wrong direction is, is a recognition that you need forgiveness, that you need a savior, that you need real life, that where you're heading is nowhere good, and then the willingness to turn to our God and trust him. It's a change of mind. It's a change of heart. It's a change of direction. You don't do the work, but you open yourself up for God to work in your life. That's what repentance is. Jesus calls us to repentance, which means that we should be willing to cut off our sin, our old life. But also, the call to repentance is a call to celebrate life. Last week, we looked at the parable of, of the lost sons, and we remembered how repentance leads to celebration. We remember how that story tells us that, that God likes to throw parties. The, the whole idea of Luke chapter 15 is a constant reminder of that. The shepherd left the 99 sheep in the open country to go look for the lost sheep. And when he found it, he called his friends and he called his neighbors and he threw a party. He said, celebrate with me because I found the, found the sheep that was lost. And when the shepherd celebrates the finding of the lost sheep, he is reflecting the father's heart who rejoices when one sinner repents. When the woman had 10 coins and she lost one of the 10 coins and she moves the furniture and she turns on the light and she sweeps all through the house and doesn't stop looking until she finds the coin. And when she finds the coin, she calls her friends and her neighbors and she said, let's have a party because I found the coin that was lost. And when she celebrates, she is reflecting the father's heart whenever what was lost is found. Whenever, whatever was far away from him is now near to him. When the younger son comes in the parable of the lost sons, the father has the fattened calf killed and he has music and dancing going on to celebrate because his son who was dead is now alive. The son who was lost is now found. And when the father of the younger son and the older son celebrates, he's reflecting the heart of our Father. Whenever someone comes to the place in their lives, they come to their senses, they've been far away from the Father's house, and they realize far away from the Father's house, there's, there's no joy, there's no ultimate meaning, there, there's brokenness, and there's hopelessness. They realize that, and they get up from the place where they're feeding the pigs, and they start walking to the Father's house where there's provision even for the workers. When the, when the person does that, when the person comes to their senses, the Father rejoices. He prepares a celebration. We cannot miss that, folks. It's, it's over and over again we're told about, it's a big deal. God rejoices when sinners repent. And those who are part of God's family should rejoice when sinners repent. When people who are far from God are 
making their way back to God, are, are turning their hearts toward God, the people of God should rejoice. That's what Levi did. He threw a big party. Jesus was his guest of honor. No one else had cared for him like Jesus did. The Jews hated him and rejected him. His family probably disowned him. But Jesus, Jesus was different. Jesus had looked at him. He'd seen beyond the facade. He, he'd seen beyond the prejudice. He'd seen beyond his appearance, beyond his position. Jesus saw his heart. He saw a heart that was hurting, a heart that was longing for a new beginning. Jesus broke tradition and customs. He cared more about Levi than he cared about what other people said around him and invited him to become one of his disciples. Of course, Levi's gonna throw a party for him. No one else had done this for him. And who is Levi going to invite? Well, the only people he knows, tax collectors and, and the motley crew he hung out with. Social misfits. Imagine Levi's house is filled with tax collectors and sinners and religious outcasts and Jesus is right in the middle having a good time with them. Now you think, well, that's a really nice Bible story. Well, let me, let me just kind of push you a little bit. Imagine today a dinner party where the guests include drug traffickers, cartel bosses, abortion activists, LGBTQ activists, and pimps, and Jesus in the middle having a good time. Well, if that shocks you, then you can imagine how the religious people of the first century were shocked by what Jesus did on that occasion. See, what happens is that Levi wanted his friends to know that Jesus is a friend of sinners. Levi wanted his friends to know that there is one who loves them just as they are. He wanted them to know that there is hope for a new life when you follow Jesus. Uh, I've been in contact with Pastor David and Eli and Ugo as uh, they've been traveling to the Republic of Georgia on a vision mission trip. And when they were in the airport in Houston, we were texting and, and, uh, and I asked him, how long is your uh, layover in Istanbul, Turkey? And he said, we're gonna be there a whole day. And I said, wow. And Pastor David said, we really want an opportunity to share Christ with some Muslims. And I thought, that's so cool. You know, some of us, maybe when we have a, a one-day layover somewhere, we're thinking about where we're going to go sightseeing or what kind of food we, we're going to eat. We start Googling the reviews of the food in that area. Uh, and some of us would never put ourselves in a situation where we'd be surrounded by Muslims and, and we would be maybe the only Christians. But, but here's a group of guys from our church that wanted to take advantage of their opportunity to share Christ with Muslims because God loves them, because Jesus died for them, and because they can find new life in him. On this day, Levi was happy. Jesus was happy. God was happy. Levi's friends were happy. The only people that were not happy were the Pharisees. This legalistic religious group who felt like they always kept the rules, who were so obsessed with traditions and, and, and doing things always the right way, they were not happy. And that's usually a telltale sign of whether your heart is aligned with God's heart or not. 
When sinners are getting close to God, when, when sinners are starting to hang out in places where they are open to the gospel, when, when, when children are celebrating and making noise and filling the hallways of our church uh, because they're learning about Jesus, when, when young people are involved in serving and, uh, and, and in seeking after God and, and answering God's call, if you rejoice at that, then your heart is like the heart of Jesus. But if you're more concerned about the mess that the kids make at church, if you're more concerned about what our youth are wearing, if you're more concerned about how loud their music is, maybe you need a heart check. Because the Father's heart rejoices when people draw close to him. I'll never forget a very sad moment in the life of my family. My, my, one of my brothers had been sort of a prodigal, um, had been walking away from God, and he had had a really strong altercation with my father. My brother had really nice, curly, wavy, long hair, not curly, but wavy, long hair, and my father made him cut it, and it was a really bad haircut, and my, my brother was embarrassed, and and he just was humiliated by the whole encounter. And, um, and so he would wear a hat. He was wearing a hat to hide his haircut. And back in those days, going to youth camp, there was a lot more rules. It was a lot more strict. There was a lot more legalism. But I remember one day as we were going into worship, it was the first night of worship at the tabernacle there, Camp Sefer. And my brother was wearing this cap to hide his haircut. And there were pastors at the door who were policing, making sure that no one wore a hat inside. And so they told my brother, you have to take off your hat if you're gonna come in here. And my brother said, well, I'd like to keep it, you know, and he tried to explain, he tried to reason with the man, and the man just insisted that he couldn't come in the worship center unless he took off his hat. And so my brother, they made him take off his hat, and he went in there with his head hung low, he was filled with shame and embarrassment and self-consciousness. I don't know that he heard a single word of what was preached that day, but I do know he never went to youth camp again. And I wondered, was it really that important that he was wearing a hat? Or would God's, was God's heart more concerned whether my brother heard the message as he was loved by the people around him? I think sometimes church people are focusing on the wrong thing. I think sometimes religious people miss the heart of God. I believe that joy and bitterness are telltale signs of whether we're aligned with God's heart. Jesus calls us to repentance, which means we, we have to cut off sin, but we also have to celebrate life, celebrate what God is doing in the lives of people. And finally, we're called to cast off pride the Jewish leaders, as we already saw, specifically the, the Pharisees, were very offended by Jesus. They could not conceive of a man of God eating and drinking with sinful people. And Jesus is aware of their concern. He acknowledges their question and he answers in verse 31. Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Wow, what an indictment. He, Jesus says, look, it's logical. Doctors go to sick people. I mean, how many of you, or which of you would think that if a doctor were to say to you, you know, I don't go around sick people. I just don't like sick people. 
I, I stay away. I, I just hang out with healthy people so that way I won't get sick. You would say, well, what a bad doctor that would be. Well, if Jesus came from heaven to seek and to save that which was lost, and he only hangs out with the righteous, he would be a bad savior. He goes in the midst of our mess because he's the only one that can rescue us. He goes where the sinners are because he can give them hope. Because he can draw them to himself. Jesus neither condemns the sinner nor does he condone the sin. He loves people to himself and when people receive the grace, like the, the woman caught in adultery, Jesus said to them, does no one condemn you? He says, no one. He says, neither do I. Go and sin no more. He doesn't condemn, but he doesn't condone the sin either. See, the way that God leads us to repentance is through his kindness. Romans chapter 2 verse 4 says that, that his kindness leads us to repentance. And if that's God's way, that ought to be our way too. If you want people in the world who have it all wrong, who have the wrong values, who, who are living the wrong way, if you want them to come to God, instead of pointing the finger at them, instead of calling them names, instead of hating on them on social media, why don't you love them? Why aren't you kind to them? Why don't you act like Jesus acted so that maybe they can have an opportunity to experience the kindness of God and then be transformed by the power of God? It's not about accepting or condoning sin. It's about our attitude towards sinners, an attitude that would reflect God's heart. Supposedly June is Pride Month, which is when the LGBTQ agenda is promoted and everyone wants you to know about their rights and, and all of that. And I believe that as Christians, we have a lot to be concerned when it comes to that, that we want to uphold biblical and godly standards of sex, of gender identity, of marriage. We want to teach our children what is right. We want to teach them what is wrong. We want to protect them from the indoctrination of the world and of the media. I want you to know that I am against the LGBTQ agenda because the Bible doesn't condone it. I'm against the indoctrination of children in our schools and the media. I oppose any legal or medical procedure or law or policy that wants to give minors hormone blockers or encourage them to, to change their biological gender because I think it goes against God's design and the scriptures. But having said that, one of the things that we need to talk about is not just where we stand on those issues, but it's how we treat the people that are part of that how we treat the individuals that are LGBTQ, that are struggling with gender identity. I get to serve as the president of the Baptist General Convention of Texas. We have 5,200 churches that are part of our convention. And part of what we ask ourselves is how do churches deal with individuals? I'm not talking about the agenda or the media or, or the curriculum. I'm talking about individuals who are LGBTQ. Well, there are some Christians and maybe some churches who, who their response is to hate and to condemn and to judge. People from that community will never be welcome in their midst. And in my opinion, they might as well be like the Pharisees. Then on the other side, we have some churches and Christians who are called welcoming and affirming. 
That means that not only do they welcome people from the LGBTQ community, but they affirm their lifestyle. They do same-sex weddings in their churches. They ordain deacons and pastors who are same-sex. In my opinion, they might as well just not be a church because they're ignoring the scriptures. So we have disfellowship churches in our convention that are practicing that. So my question is, what is the alternative? If judging and condemning is not an alternative, and if welcoming and affirming is not an alternative, what's the alternative? Well, I think it's the Jesus alternative. It's to love people just the way they are. It's to welcome them, to treat them with dignity because they're made in the image of God, and then to trust that as they turn toward Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the truth and grace will work in their hearts and will bring them to an understanding, will bring them to a place of repentance. I'm not trying to be simplistic about this. I know it's complex, but I also know that God's heart is for the sinner, that he loves people, that he wants us to treat them with dignity. It's not an easy thing to do, but it's the Christ thing to do. It's not the most popular thing. When you walk that line, the people on one extreme think that you didn't go far enough and the people on the other extreme would think that you went too far. But listen, I don't really care what other people think as long as my heart is lined up with God's heart. As long as I am Christ-like, that's what I want to be and I hope that's what our church is. The call to repentance is the call to cast off pride. Sinners need to lay aside their pride to receive forgiveness and grace and saints need to lay aside their pride and realize that they're not as righteous as they think they are. Jesus tells the Pharisees of the day that he didn't come to call the righteous to repentance, but sinners. It's almost a a, a little uh, sarcasm. It's like saying, you think you're righteous. Well, I didn't come to call you because you don't even realize that you need repentance. And therefore, you're not going to experience grace. That is the sad thing about the, the, the story of, of the two sons. See, these Pharisees were full of, of religious pride, of self-righteousness. They thought, I've always kept the rules. I've always stayed clean. I've always been in God's house. I'm entitled. I deserve. And Jesus says, well, I didn't come for you. You apparently have your act together. I, I can't help you. The, the parable of the two lost sons is this, at the end of the story, the son, the younger son who rebelled, who sinned, who went away from home, who came to his senses, at the end of the story, he's inside the house enjoying the celebration of the father, enjoying the blessings and the grace, wearing a robe and a ring and sandals. And the older brother who never left the house, who always kept the rules, who always worked hard, at the end of the story is outside the house. He's angry, he's bitter. He can't celebrate. And the father goes outside to plead with him, come inside, your brother who was lost is found. The brother who was dead is alive. And the, brother, the older brother refuses to go in. His heart is so hardened that he cannot experience the father's grace and blessing. Listen, if you're in a life of sin, you need to repent, turn around, 
come to God and experience his grace. If you have always been in church, have always kept the rules, but now are filled with self-righteousness and pride, you need to repent of your pride. Turn around from that and turn toward God so that his grace can flow through you. Watch this clip. Mind like yours. Matthew. Matthew, son of Alphaeus. Yes. Follow me. Me? <laughs> yes, you. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What are you doing? You want me to join you? Keep moving, street preacher. Do you have any idea what this guy has done? Do you even know him? Yes. Listen, I said to you. What are you doing? Where do you think you're going? Guys, let me go. Have you lost your mind? You have money. Quintus protects you. No Jew lives as good as you. You're gonna throw it all away. Yes. I don't get it. You didn't get it when I chose you either. But this is different. I'm not a tax collector. Get used to different. I'm glad we passed by your booth today, Matthew. Yes. Shall we? We have a celebration to prepare for. You will regret this, Matthew. Jesus called Levi, or Matthew, to repentance. And Levi answered that call and made all the difference in his life. Jesus calls you to repentance. Will you answer that call? Will you come to him?